This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. So we know this month is, again, Pastor's Appreciation Month, and we have the best pastor in the world. I'm going to tell you all that. I believe God has great, He graced us with the best pastor and our founding pastor, and then by extension, the best pastor and our current pastor. So I, 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 I'm grateful, I'm thankful, I want to show my appreciation and my honor to our founding pastor. And as, you, as we all know, we've been talking about restoration. That's what pastor appreciation is about this month. So I'll give you my title of this message before we go, and all it is is Restoration Requires Participation. Restoration requires participation. And again, I just want to say a few words to my pastor because I'm so, I'm so thankful for this place that God has brought us as a ministry. Me personally and as a ministry. This place of arise and build. This place of rest, restoring the generations. This, this, this place of preparation. This season of growth. So grateful. I'm personally grateful for our overseer because as y'all saw my brother this, this morning, that, that's my mother too. But let me tell you something. She knows how to separate that office as well. There's a difference between mother and pastor, father and pastor, and she learned well from her founding pastor. She made sure that, you know what, your growth needs to be consistent. When it comes to our relationship as son and mother, we're going to put that to the side first because now I'm your pastor. This is what you need. Listen, mother and son is what you need to nurture and grow up, but what you need from her counsel, godly counsel, that's what you need to restore your soul. So I'll give honor to our pastor today. And I want to, like, like I said, I want to give honor to our founding pastor. Because never, I, I remember this message Minister Martin ministered a couple years back. Never forget the first. Our founding pastor, our father, he laid, my father, he laid the foundation on Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. He, he was a man after God's own heart. He taught me everything I knew about just being a man, period. How to be a brother. How to be a son. Listen, how to be a minister of the Lord, how to be a, listen, I'm not even a, a physical father yet, but how to be a father. He taught me these things. He taught me how to put Christ first in everything. How to be a real man in Christ. He considered the counsel of God to be worth more than anything this world could offer. That's why, you, you know, my brother told you he, he had that conversation with him years ago, and he said, but the word of God must go forth. Because the word of God and his counsel is more important than any of these problems and issues going on. If you want these problems and issues to, 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 to cease, you need the word of God. This is the same man who answered the call of God in his life so that we as a family can meet here today. A faithful servant of God. And it's no coincidence to me that since the transitioning of our founding pastor... Pastor Alva Hill was able to transition right into that role. No coincidence to me. Because she's been found faithful for God's ears. Listen, she, she grew up in this ministry just like me. Uh, she was a member of this church just like you and me. Uh, I'm sorry. Not like everybody, though, because uh, she was a member in particular. <laughs> uh, she knew her role. She knew that the pastor... Listen... Not my husband, but the pa- her husband too. But the pastor needs a member to do a certain thing. And God said, oh, she's faithful. 
It's not just because she was the pastor's wife. It's because she was a member. It's because she didn't reject the counsel of God. Because let me tell you, there's plenty of times that things went across, messages that went across the pulpit, and let me tell you, she wanted to reject it, but she was a member. So, Pastor, I just want to tell you, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for his, for God's mighty work and power of your life, and it's been evident from day one all the way until now. I'm grateful that you decided to stick with it, to continue, to endure, to be an example to the flock and everyone in it. And I purpose to follow your example and put my hands to the ministry. Why? Do, why, does, why do we need to put our hands to the ministry? And, it's, and you know, our pastor's been saying this for the longest. So the church of the living water? Not the church. Because the church, is, the church of the living water can be established. Because we have a work to do. So this brings me back to my, my subject for Pastor's Appreciation Month this year. And again, we're going to be talking about restoration. And restoration requires participation. And being established and consistent in the things of Christ is what's needed to be restored. See, when, if you're established in the things of Christ and you're, you've been restored, then you're ready for use. Don't just think Pastor, Pastor Albert Hill stepped into this role. She's been consistent in the things of Christ. You're ready for use. And God exalted her for his name's sake. So we need to be established in consistent truth. That's the only thing that's going to restore your soul. That's the only thing that's going to reveal the righteousness of God to you. You know, the Bible says in Romans that the righteousness of God is revealed to us from faith to faith. That means when the truth is revealed to you by the Spirit of God and you commit it to your heart, then you'll see the righteousness of God in your life. You'll see Him restore you through His truth. That means, if it's from faith to faith, that means the next time that you, that you look at the same truth, God will reveal even more to you. On the same truth. And now, you're able to apply this new revelation in this new current span of time that you're in. From faith to faith. See, that, that first revelation was for here. But he'll take you from faith to faith. Restored by the truth. Faith to faith means that you've, you've captured for your rest, what you needed for your restoration in that current season. So you've been brought into a greater revelation. Because, remember, God has something else plan for you too a pastor said something else is coming and it's going to listen what you need for that something else is only going to be given to you by God but it's from faith to faith which implies that it's something that we have to do see in the process of restoration God is he's changing your thinking he's changing your position and so now when, when, when what's coming comes you're ready you won't be distracted from the preparation that you need for that season. Because you've been ready. See, because restoration, all rest, let me tell you what restoration is. Restoration is preparation for what's to come. That's all it is. It's restoration for what's to come. For your hope. <laughs> for what's to come. What are you expecting to come? And restoration is only attained by obedience. That means being a believer doesn't give you a shortcut. 
You have to do the work. You can't say I'm a Christian, I believe in God, and that's it. You have to do the work. That should tell you, if you go to this church, you have no excuse. We can't say the word isn't coming forth. We know that it's the truth. Because it comes straight from the truth. That just means if you're not seeing God's restoration in your life, in this ministry, it's because you're rejecting godly counsel. Uh, I love how Minister Everhart pointed out the other day, restoration requires maturity. And one of the most immature problems that, that we have, believers, uh, I'm sorry, Christians, is we don't like to be wrong. Some can take it better than others, but nobody likes it. But let me tell you something. In our walk with God, restoration is Him showing you that you're wrong. <laughs> but God don't leave you that way. He said, but let me show you what's right. Let me give you Christ. But let me, I hope that deals with some of our problems, right? We don't like to be wrong. But let me tell you something. If you're dealing with God, you're going to be wrong the majority of the time, unless you're in agreement with Him. You're going to be wrong all the time. And He's going to show you by His Word. And yes, nobody likes it. We have to endure it. Why? Because we have, we have an expected end that we're being restored to. On a day-to-day basis. This is, what, this is what God is for us. He shows us what we need to do right through Christ. But, like I said, it's in Christ. So in restoration, it's paramount that we remember righteousness is through Christ alone. There was nothing that we could do. There's nothing that you can do. Righteousness is, is given to us by Jesus alone. There are none righteous. No, not one. However... Now we can be holy. The Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy. So what is holiness? It's walking in the righteousness that that Christ gives you. It's showing God that I desire to be more like you. I desire to walk in your ways. Thank you for your righteousness. Now I'm going to be holy with this. I'm I'm not going to use it as a head knowledge. I'm going to apply it. Holiness is key. Holiness is your heart knocking on the door. And you know what you're knocking for? More righteousness of Christ. That's what it is. See, when you, when you start walking in this holiness, you desire more of it. Because it changes you. It restores your soul. And you want more restoration. Once you've, once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then, listen, that's the appetite you want to have. An appetite for the Lord. When you, when you obey his word and listen to his statutes and, and give to his kingdom and take care of his gifts and keep yourself in his love, that's when he hears your heart knocking. He said, oh, wait a minute, that's holiness. That's righteousness I smell. That's my son I smell all over you. I can't ignore that. So what's that mean? It's time for us to push past the surface stuff. I heard, I heard Minister Eberhardt said, our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. It's time to push back past that. It's time just to stop praying because the Bible says to pray. It's time to stop just picking up your Bible on Sunday mornings. It's time to stop giving just because the Bible says I should give. It's a heart issue. It's time to get rid of laziness. 
It's time to put your hands to the work that you can see God's power through your hands. You need to see that. That's called restoration. Your brother needs to see that. Your sister needs to see that. That's called restoration. Participate. And God is saying to you today that if you're willing to participate in preparation, in preparation for your restoration, that you have more to give than just your money. And the generations to come will, ever be the, will never be the same because of it. If you're willing to participate. So let's get into the meat of this today. We have a few questions that we're going to answer today. And you can write these down. And mind you, when I say these questions, I won't necessarily tell you, hey, we're answering these now. Just listen. Listen attentively. Submit fully. Conform completely. Listen. Just listen. And as these answers get, that's, I love doing stuff like this. You know why? That means now you have to go back later and add your notes back here and do this. I'm not going to tell you when I'm answering these questions. That means you need to go back to it and study it. So here's a few questions that we're going to, ha- we're going to answer today. What is restoration? And who does the work? What is restoration? And who does the work? And then what are the essentials for my preparation for restoration? I'll say those again. What is restoration? And who does the work? What is restoration? And who does the work? And the last one is, what are the essentials for my preparation? restoration what are the essentials for my preparation for restoration amen so we're going to start right now with just a definition what is restoration because you can look in the dictionary and it'll tell you it's to return to return something back to its original condition however when God restores he gives it a whole new meaning so here's, a, here's, here's our biblical meaning right now of restoration. To receive back more than has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than its original condition. To receive back more than has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. I'll say that one more time and then you got to listen to this again on your own. To receive back more than has been lost to the point where the final state is greater than the original condition. See, when, when God restores, He restores beyond measure. Okay? You're not going to be able to say, ooh, that person's the same as before. Nope. I, I love how Minister Eberhard said it. He said, restoration places you where you need to be for that current span of time. And when you restore, people are going to say, there's something different though. You can't say, you, you won't be able to say, that person's the same. And, and, and here's another thing. When he restores, he gives you strength. He gives you assurance. Because remember, he's restoring you for something that's coming. So he gives you strength and assurance that what's coming is already taken care of in your preparation for restoration. So he gives you strength. He gives you assurance instead of fear and doubt. And, and that's, this is why restoration is continual. You continue to restore your soul because he's done it before. And he'll do it again in your life and through your life. That's what restoration is. He's done it. He's restored you before. And oh, I have a family member that needs some help from that. He's going to do it again through you in their life. That's restoration. What a masterful planner. What a wise master. What a wise master builder. 
So how do I get this strength and assurance in my life? How do I maintain this in my life? And I'm glad you asked because there are some graces that you need to, that you need to participate in restoration. And I said graces because here's the thing about grace. Grace is something that you can't do. Grace is given by God. Okay? So we're going to discover some graces that God gave you to maintain this in your life. Thank God for His grace. Let, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to talk about graces. It's, these are the things that we need to maintain in our life if we want to be prepared for restoration. 1 Corinthians 13. And I just love the scripture. But we're going to see it in a whole new light today. We're going to start at verse 8. And we're going to go to 13. And I'll read it through once. And then we'll come back and look at this. So verse 8. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face, now I know in part. But then shall I know even as I also, even also as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. Now let's go back. See, I, I, love, I love this scripture, right? And we're going to see how this has to do with restoration. But I want to go back to verse 11. Because it speaks of putting away childish things. But if you're listening with the spiritual ear, he's also saying that the difference between a child and an adult is the same as the difference between heaven and earth. And let me tell you. See, see naturally as a child, we have narrow views. We have confused thinking. But as you grow up into an adult, you learn things, you develop things, and that makes you an adult. You, uh, you learn things and you do away with things that children do that makes you an adult. It's the same thing in your spiritual walk. When we first get saved, we're still infants. But as our soul is restored, day by day, we learn to do away with things, gifts and values from this world, and the lust of our flesh, and put on more perfect things, more so that we could be restored. See, it's all about restoration. Now let's go, let's go to verse 12. It says, For now we see through a looking glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall, even, shall I know even as also I am. I am known. <clears throat> so remember this. Even though our soul has been restored, this world, there's, there's a wall over the eyes of this world. There's confusion in this world. There's darkness in this world. And it only allows us to see Christ through a looking glass. As a reflection. Not face to face. That means sometimes we're not going to get it right. That's what that means. Because we can't see him face to face. Sometimes we're not going to get it right. However, if we abide in faith, hope, and love, our hearts will be free from all doubt. Our mind will be made up. So that when we get to heaven and the darkness, the, the, the darkness and the confusion is removed by the face of God, he'll say then, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now here's the, here's the greatest thing for me right now, because now we're getting to it. In verse 13 it says, and now abideth faith, hope, charity. 
these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Now why charity or love? Why, why is this the greatest of these? And, and, and these are the three graces I'm talking about. And I'll tell you why I call them graces. Like I said, they're given to you by God. God is giving you your faith. God is giving you Christ, your hope. And God is giving you your love. So these are why they're his graces. This is not something you could get on your own. These were given to you by God. But why love? Why is charity the greatest? We know faith has nothing to do with your senses. We walk by faith and not by sight. We know hope fastens us on tomorrow and waits for that earnestly. But in heaven, when we see face to face, faith will be swallowed up in sight. You won't have to hope for Christ no more. He's there. But in heaven, God is there. And what is God? God is love. That's where our love can be perfected. But until that day, we must abide in faith, hope, and love. Uh, until that day. See, that faith and hope now, you know how it works together with love? See, we won't be able to, we won't be able to love perfectly until we see Him face to face, but that faith and hope will help us mature towards that perfection of loving perfectly. That's why those three graces work hand in hand. This is our total restoration. That's the blessed state. You know, when, when we don't have to have faith or hope no more, all it is is the love of God. That's the blessed state the world, the world, that we are being restored to. That's, remember, remember we said restoration takes you to a far better position. That far surpasses any place that we could be on earth. It's not to, it restores back. No, this is, this is taking you to a far better position than where we are. Even, even down here with the Spirit in us, guess what? Face to face is even better. That's restoration. Total restoration. But until that day, we must abide. So what are the essentials? How do I put away the childish things of this earth and mortify my flesh? How do I restore my soul? I need faith, hope, and love. It's very simple. And guess what? God gave them to you if you're a believer. God gave them to you. Let's turn over to Jude. And we're going to start at verse 17. And for those who don't read Jude, there's not chapters. It's, one, it's just one book. That's why I didn't give you a chapter. So Jude, and we're going to start at verse 17. And it's so amazing, because this scripture is about restoration too, but I want you to see what, what God ties in here. So here's what I'm going to do again. I'm going to read through this all the way through. And then I'm going to come back. Actually, no, I'm going to read to verse 19. Or maybe 21. We'll see here. But we're going to start at verse 17. And it says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of, the before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Now, I do want to address this real quick. That separate themselves mean? That means that these are the ones that contend with you. They're contentious. They bring strife to the table. And sensual, sensual here, if you look at the, what it says after sensual, it says having not the spirit. So that means the spiritually discerned. That's what sensual means here. So the ones who contend with you, they're contentious. They bring strife. They're spiritually discerned. 
These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. And verse 20 and 21. See, these are the two verses right here that you really need to pay attention to. It says, But ye be loved, building up yourselves on the most holy faith. There's faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God. There's love. Looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's your hope. Looking means I'm hoping. And, and, and there's another thing I want to mention here. If you look at these two verses, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are mentioned in them too. You need all three. And you need all three graces. Why? What's the next verse? What's the next verse? It says, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto the eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. What some is he talking about? The ones that separate themselves. But in order to, on those sons to have compassion, you have to build yourself up in the faith. Let's start with there. Verse 20. Build up yourself in the faith. And we're talking about faith, hope, and love. Build yourself up in the faith. So what does it mean to build yourself up in the faith? First of all, it means you must know the faith. Our total existence depends on God sending His only begotten Son for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring in everlasting restoration. Uh, salvation, let me help you. Everlasting restoration, it's salvation. That's the purpose. And that's the thing about building yourself in the faith, you have to ever keep that present on your mind. If you're going to know the faith, that has to always be in your mind. It wasn't anything that I could do. It wasn't anything that you could do. It was because of His goodness. His goodness is Him willing to forgive me when I know I didn't deserve it. That's His goodness. Him willing to have mercy on me when I know I didn't deserve it. His willingness to forgive me. That's what caused you to have a change of heart. So that's what you need to keep in your mind. That's what you must know. You got to remember, he's, he's taking you from being a wretch and made you an heir to the kingdom. He took me from being a bastard and made me an heir to the kingdom. Now I can cry, Abba, Father. See, knowing this will keep your heart ready to be used by God. Knowing what you believe will get you up. Even if you have a fear. It will have you move forward towards your restoration. Because that's what it's all about. Your total restoration. Your salvation. And I want you to keep, a, keep your tab here in Jude, because we're going to come back to this all day. But, you know, God spoke to me during this study time. And he said, you know, you can use anybody in the Bible for restoration, because that's what the Bible is about. It's about restoration. So, through this whole teaching, I just decided to go to David. And let me tell you, in your study time, you can go to anybody about restoration, because his principles... Listen, faith, hope, and love is there when it comes to restoration. It's there. So we're going to go to David. So... Keep your tab right there in Jude, and let's turn over to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I'm going to tell you, we're kind of going to walk through David's life. Because in restoration, there's ups, there's downs, there's people that help you in your restoration, there's people that you help in restoration. Uh, but if you abide in faith, hope, and love, your mind will be made up. No matter what comes my way, the ups or downs, I'm going to be restored. 
So we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 here. But y'all know how I do. We may stop. We may keep going. But that's where we're going to start. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And for those who don't know, I'll give you a little background here. Samuel is the judge over Israel right now. And God has told him, hey, he's telling him it's time to anoint a new king. Saul is no longer fit. And let me tell you, that's another thing I want to say about it, right? Saul wasn't God's pick. Okay? This was man's pick. But now that we want to go by kings, God has said, well, I have a king, though. See, because Saul wasn't picked. Let me tell you something about when God picks. Look at your pastor. He, he chooses a faithful servant. Okay? Because a faithful servant won't do the things that Saul did. And God told him beforehand, Saul's going to tax you. Saul's going to do this and that to your people. And this is not a man after my heart. This is after your heart. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is where we are. Samuel is the judge over Israel. And he's, when you say judge over Israel, he's the spiritual authority over these people right now. I want you to understand that as well. So verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Now, we aren't even able to see David at this point. But like I said, if God said he's provided you a king, guess what? <laughs> you don't have to do no research. You don't have to look up and see, well, let me see what I'm voting for. Let me see what this person believes and what that person believes. No, no, no. If God said he's provided a king, it's because they know the faith. They've been building themselves up in the faith. All right, now verse 2. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint me unto him, unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. And I have come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. Now, I want you to know how I can tell that Jesse brought his family up in the faith. Because like I said, Samuel being the judge means he's the spiritual authority in that area. And when he comes to Bethlehem, they already came out like, are you coming peaceably? You know why? Because when the judge comes, that means it's time for reproof. It's time for rebuke. But, this is how I know Jesse, and Jesse was, he knew the faith. Because when he was summoned by the spiritual authority, he went. And he said, bring your sons. He brought them all. Yeah, David was attending to the sheep, but he was there. See, listen, my spirit, if, my, if your spiritual authority says to do something, and you, and you don't move, check if you know the faith. Check if you know the faith, because your spiritual authority is your way to restoration. So I'm sure they were afraid, because when the judge comes, they talk about, oh, it's reproof. But my faith says, it's okay. I'm going to, if it's reproof, I'm going to endure it. And guess what? It wasn't reproof. It was exaltation for his son. See, that's the thing about restoration. If you're standing in the faith, God has something for you. All you got to do is trust. Don't worry about your fear. What if his fear got a hold of him and said, No, they're going to say something about the family. We're not going. We're not going. Because don't forget, 
Don't forget that Christ was, was through the bloodline of David. But what if they didn't go? What if they didn't know the faith? God is so good. So, let's, keep, let's pick it up. Verse 6. And it came to pass when they were come, and he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not unto his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as a man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. See, this, this is what I'm talking about. God knew beforehand that, that David's heart was a heart of faith. The Lord doesn't look on the countenance. Uh, the Lord knows your comings and goings. Before David showed up in the Bible, the Lord knew what David was doing. Uh, and let me tell you something as well. If, you read, if we read further here, we are going to read further here, you're going to see David was attending to the sheep. And before he becomes king, you're going to see he was faithful to that. We're going to see that today. See, that's a faithful servant. You're going to see that today. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass. Actually, you know what, let's go to verse 11. So he called all his other children and God said, nope, 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 nope. And verse 11, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready. And with all of beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Now let me tell you something, why they describe him this way here. It didn't have nothing to do, it didn't want you to make, make you think, oh, he's a good looking king. No, he was too young. That's what they're trying to show you. And now as a man, they're like, this is king? This little young, little ruddy boy? Little cute faced boy don't look like he's seen a day of battle? No, this is not king. He's not ready to go out against the Philistines. He's not ready to lead the people, of God's people, the people of Israel. That's what man said. But God said, but I look on the matters of the heart. And he knows my faith. And that's all you need. You need faith. You need hope. And listen, you have faith in me. Let me take you the rest of the way. Abide in me. But, even though he looked like, at all this, I'm going to tell you as well why they know the faith. How you know Jesse and his family does. Who objected? Let's read it. Let's see who objected. Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David, and that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Who objected? Nobody. So, so let me tell you this as well. When your spiritual authority gives you a command from the Lord and you object, that's called rejecting godly counsel. That halts your restoration. If anybody objected right here, this would have halted their restoration. You know why? Because David being king is, is restoration to them too. His whole family. We have to understand when God appoints, it's not a nonchalant ordeal. His ways are perfect. Uh, David was ready. Like I said, he checked on the matters of the heart. You know what comes to mind? The ready scribe Ezra. Uh, 
to Zechariah and Elizabeth and Matthew. You know, upright, faithful, ready to be restored. God said, oh, they're ready to be restored. Uh, they're ready to work my restoration through them as well. Because they're upright. They're found faithful. They know the faith. David knew. Listen, you can check David's lineage. We talked about it a few weeks ago. You want to check his bloodline? Who are his great-grandparents? Ruth and Boaz. And we know Ruth. Ruth left her people, the Moabites, to follow after God. Those are his great-grandparents. They knew the faith. You have to know the faith to be restored. That puts you in a position to be restored. Amen. So, knowing the faith and being confident in what you believe in prepares you for the next move of God because it causes your heart to be ready to receive the blessing He has for you. And trust that it is a blessing because it's about restoration. That's, that's why I love that song I sang. That, that was the posture of David's heart. And if you're ready, if your hands are lifted up and you're ready to receive from God, when you get to where he has for you, there's strength and assurance there. He'll give you everything you need when you get there to get it done. But you have to know it's faith. How else do we build ourselves up in the faith? Number two is, we must be the faith in this world. Uh, let me help you all out, because I know we have to know the faith, but God isn't just interested in us in knowing the faith. He's interested in us contending for the faith. He's interested in us walking the faith. That means I don't just have a relationship with God, I have fellowship. That means I don't just know the truth, I do the truth. I'm a doer of the word. Because the world has to see that he is God. We have to be the faith in this world. Let's go over just a page over to 1 Samuel 17. I told you we stand with David today. Because you have to be the faith in this world. And as we saw, they gave that description of him because a ruddy young man is not ready to stand up against the armies of the Philistines. But again, we have to be the faith in this world. So 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to read a lot here because this is just good to me. We have a little time. 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to start at verse 4. And we're going to see about this faithful servant of God, David. Verse 4, And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with the coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. Wow. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear, staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he said, now, I have to stop right there. Because we're going from little ruddy David, and we're talking about this giant of a man. And I'm telling you, they're talking about just his armor he's carrying. I'm telling you, are talking about his spearhead with 600 shekels of, of, of uh, uh, what did it say, Silver, 600 shekels of brass. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 600 shekels 
of a, I missed it, but six of brass or something like that. But you got to think of that way, right? That's got to be how many Davids. You understand what I'm saying? And you got little bitty David. How are we expected to be the faith against that, right? But let's keep reading. Verse 8, And he stood and cried into the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you not come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine? Aren't you servants of Saul? Come down. So what he, he's talking about. We, we beefing, ain't we? Come see me. Hey, come on. Don't y'all see me in my brass? Come see me. You, 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 and you. Come on. You know, he, he's calling them out. Uh, he's testing their faith. <laughs> he's calling them out. And, and, and let me tell you something. I want y'all to look, th- look at these things with spiritual eyes today because Goliath and the Philistines, it's nothing but your lust and sin. Okay, that have you in a raid. Have you battling. Have you warring with yourself. So I want you to see this. Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. Verse 9. And if you be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you should be our servants to serve us. He's mocking him. Just like, just like our sins and lusts do. They mock you. Oh, you can't stop that. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, listen, you can't, you're not going to be able to be the faith in this world. You can't stop me. You know you want to go do that with this person. You know you want to go do that with that person. The biggest Goliath in our lives. But let's keep reading. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, see, that's interesting to me because he said, I defy the armies of Israel. And David's going to tell him later, no, you defy the armies of God. See, that's the one thing. That's how you know David knows the faith. You didn't hear nobody else on David's side say that, but David said it. He said, no, 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 no. You think you're coming against a man. That's what you think, but you defy the armies of God. You're dealing with him and his restoration. You've already lost. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get there. And he said, Let's see. Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Look at the king that the people chose. He was afraid. God is, listen, if God, if God knew, if he was a man after God's heart, we're going to see what they're going to do. Because David is. But look what the people chose. He was afraid didn't know the faith, wasn't being the faith in the world, couldn't nobody see it, because guess what? If the king runs, so is all the, all the men. Now David was the son of the Ephrath, that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons, and the man went among and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, I'm sorry, David was the youngest, and the three elders followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So let me tell you, David was there with Saul because David had to play some music and sue Saul. So uh, that, that was back at the end of chapter 16. You can go ahead and read that as well. But I want you to remember this about David too. Uh, he got up and served Saul then, knowing he was supposed to be king. Keep that in mind. Alrighty? So let's go to... Let's see where was... Okay. Verse 15. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. There he is again. A faithful servant. Hey, 
My brothers are going back. Let me tell you something about me. If I know my brother's finna fight, I'm not finna run home. I'm like, let's go, let's go get it, bro. You know, what's going on? What's popping? I'm here to see what's going on with my brother. You know what I mean? I'm here. But David said, but I have a responsibility. And my face says, I need to go back and tend to this. See, he, he's going back to tend to the sheep. In the midst, that means, you know, these battles, that they're going against the Philistines, the sins, your lust, the distractions. From what you need to do. They'll come and they'll taunt in front of you and show you, look how big I am, I'm Goliath. But you got a, you got a purpose to do. It's about restoration. Don't get pulled off by something, by a distraction. And David wasn't. Not distracted. Let, let me go handle, uh, let me be about my father's business first. And I'll be back. And Jesse said, okay, and he went home, okay. And the Philistine drew, verse 16, the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. Can you imagine? 40 days, this big old goon standing in front of all of y'all and nobody coming out to see him. Can you imagine that? And if you can't, then some of us need to imagine our lives that we sit in sin for more than, more than 40 years. Taunting you. Can't get rid of it. Uh, oh, I, I did stop doing this for three months. I did stop doing it for this year. Now I'm back on it tough. It's too much. I can't get over it. Too strong. I can't be the faith. Because I don't know the faith. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brother an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of the thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take a pledge. Now, this, this is still amazing for me, right? In the middle of all this going on, David is still serving. David is all about service. I know the armies of God are out fighting. My, bro- you said, take the- my father said, take this food to my brother. Take this to the captain. David said, okay, let's go do This is what I, this is my part for restoration right now. So let me go do it. I'm going to go do it, and I'm not going to object about it. Because not only was Samuel their spiritual authority, but, but Jesse is his authority, his father. That's another thing about restoration. If you want to be restored, not only listen to your spiritual authority, especially if, they, they sitting under, if they're in this church, but listen to your parents. Because if they're in this church... They're getting fed directly from our spirits, and we know she has her finger on the pulse of God. If you're not obeying your parents, you're not prepared for restoration. Just as if you're not obeying your spiritual authority that God has given you, the gift that He's given you, you're not prepared for restoration. How are you going to restore yourself or anybody else and you can't follow the simple instructions of your parents? No way you're following the simple, the instructions of God. Verse 19. Now Saul and they and all of the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took, went, and, took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. 
For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up a champion, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name. Out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to them, according to the same words, and David heard them. Now, see, it's a little bit different when David hears it. You know, I, and what came to mind to me, I remember one time back when we played football, me and my brother, we was in a huddle, and it was during practice, and I had gotten to it with one of our, our members in practice, and he was bumping his guns from the sidelines, right? Now, I don't want y'all to get caught up in this natural example, but I want to tell you what I saw, what I thought I saw when David, when David heard this, because he was bumping his guns and I was hot. And he said something to the effect like, I'm finna come whoop you, right? And in my face, they're like, who said what? Now that, that's, that was my, that's, let me tell you, when somebody's in the faith and they're being in the faith, if you come against God, who? Who is that? Let me tell you, David got up. <laughs> when you, listen, when you are in the faith, it's gonna move you. Especially if a contender of the faith is not gonna let nobody just come against God. Not a contender of the faith. And, and a contender of the faith is one that's prepared for restoration. You're not letting nobody halt your restoration. So again, verse 23, And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, that spake according to the same words, and David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw, saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. See, I, you see that again? This was all because, listen, their authority, he ran. That was their instant thought in their mind. Oh, King Saul can't see him every time I see him. I mean, he probably ran, the, the battle was probably here, and every time he came close, he had them all the way, he ran them across the whole thing. Listen, if they started advancing, they'd probably send Goliath over there. Because they ran when they saw him. Sore afraid. Fear. But what did we say? We said it replaces your fear and doubt. But they're so afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel, defy, defy Israel as he come up. See, they still saying it. Defy Israel. Defy Israel as he come up. And it shall be the, that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with the great riches and will give him his daughter. See, they're trying to buy victory. They're trying to, and, and David here, he's talking about what y'all giving? He's going to say, y'all giving what? He's talking about why y'all giving anything to him when he's defying the armies of the living God? Why are y'all trying to pay somebody? We don't need no money to give no incentive. Contend for the faith. Let's read it. Let's see what David says. And the man of Israel, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up? And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father house free in Israel. And David spake to the man stood by him saying, What shall be done to the man to kill this guy? You talking about this guy? Defying the armies of the living God, he said, "What what will be done to the man? What should be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God?" That's the that's the way we have to view our Goliaths, because our flesh has been circumcised by the heart. What is this uncircumcised? Mortify those members! How dare my mind think that? Punish it with the word. Why? Because if I go out and do those things, people won't see the faith. They'll see the same thing they're doing. 
I love how Minister Sister said this morning. Hey, consider the consequences. Think it out. Because a person that's of the faith, that's how you cast down imagination so that you could be the light. All about service. That's the thing. What came to mind is the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Because David, that's all he's doing. And he's, he's already anointed king. But nope, I'll keep my father's sheep. Nope, I'll bring them food to the army. Nope, I'll go and sing for Saul. Nope, I'll go and handle Goliath. Because I'm in the faith and I know God is with me. <laughs> he was anointed to be exalted far above all of them. But he humbled himself. Oof. As a young boy. Stood up for God's people. Key in restoration. Humbling yourself. Key, that's key in being faith in this world. You've got to humble yourself. Uh, how else will other people see the grace of God in your life? If you don't humble yourself. If, if it's all about you, they'll only see you. And you can't save nobody. You can't restore nobody. I want you to know, David remembers being anointed king. Who's going to forget that? But he trusts God to get him to that point. Until then, my job is not to walk around like I'm king. It's to live my life a ransom for many. It's to serve. It's to be the faith in the world. Hallelujah. Uh, let, let me help you guys. We too have been exalted. We've been made sons of God through humility. Uh, that's the key part, though. We, we have to deny self. We, we have to die to self because dying to self makes way for God's purpose. Your agenda gets moved to the side. That means when I die to self, I won't be moved by my senses. I'll be consistent in Christ and the hope that I have in Him. That's what puts away fear. That's what gives you the boldness to stand against contention. To stand against the armies of the Philistines. You saw what fear did. It leaves you stagnant or running. But a contender of the faith knows this. I don't have to fear. He's overcome the world. So... No matter what your Goliath is, you have to have an obedient faith. That means I'm, I'm submitted to the command of God that he's placed in my life at any cost. For us, that means I'm submitted to Pastor Alva Hill at any cost. I'm participating in restoration. So that me and the people around me are brought to a new and better position than they were before. You submitting to your pastors will show other how to. See, in your restoration, there's service and there's help to others. You serve them and then you're helping them see what the truth is. He served the people of Israel and then they see, oh, we, we are the people of God. We see the truth now. Because little already David was able to stand up against what wasn't the truth. That's being the faith in the world. God's restoration changes things. 
if it doesn't, let's just think of it this way. If David didn't take part in that battle, what would have happened? If he wasn't being the faith in that world, what would have happened? So if you're not participating, guess what happens? It's simple. No growth. Things get worse. No change. No restoration. No state of maturity. So we have to mature in the faith. Contend for the faith. Don't allow the little Goliaths of your life to deter you from your restoration. And God told me to tell you this. If your little Goliath is having a woman pastor, listen, your breakthrough to abounding and restoration is going to be revealed by the Spirit to Pastor Alva Hill. <laughs> so if you want to be restored, guess what? Put on, start contending for the faith. <laughs> start standing. Listen, deal with your issues. Don't get afraid. Don't start running. Pastor is a gift from God. That's, that's what you should think in your mind the whole time. Put that across your mind. It's a gift to build you up in the faith. But if you haven't given yourself over to the Lord first, first you, you're not going to appreciate the gifts He gives you. Uh, I think of the churches of Macedonia who gave themselves to the Lord first. Now I'm willing. That's the issue. You don't know the faith. You can't contend for the faith. You haven't given yourself to the Lord. Only when you give yourself by faith to the Lord will you be the faith that men need to see. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. Oof, I spent way too much time there. Matthew chapter 5. God is good. Because we can always come back. God is good. I'm just going to read this real quick because we're talking about faith. Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. And it says this. And it's a very popular scripture as well. It says, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost, have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of man. Now let me tell you what he's talking about salt in here. We are the faith of the earth. And if your faith, if, if it's lost its savor, you know what that savor is? If you've lost your hope in Christ, how's the world to be faith? How, how's the world supposed to see your faith? If you, you have to be the faith in this earth if the earth is going to be, if you're going to pull anybody into restoration, it's Christ in you. That's what men need to see. How will, how the, how will the earth be restored? And again, I echo Minister, Minister Everhart, our righteousness must succeed that of the, of the Pharisees. True righteousness. That means your mind has to be made up in the operation of God. I mean, before you try to teach others, build yourself up in the faith. Knowing the faith. Being the faith. Teach yourself to listen attentively, submit fully, and conform completely. Then restoration will be achieved. Now let's go back to Jude. I almost forgot about that, huh? Jude, and we're going to go 
to verse 21. Well, let's read it again. Let's start from 19. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye be love, build up, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So, it's important, I believe here in verse, what verse is that? Verse 21. It's really important, the reminder here, to keep yourself. And why? It's, it's important that you keep yourself because those that keep themselves are equipped to participate in restoration. So it's important that you keep yourself. And, and, and restoration for yourself and others. Okay, so if you're not keeping yourself, not only are you not equipped for restoration for yourself, you're not equipped for restoration for others. You have to keep yourself. But this is not done on your own strength. Let's see what it says. It says, keeping yourself in the love of God. Uh, that means it's because he first loved me. <laughs> he gave me his love. Remember I told you, love is a grace. That's something that God gives you. He gave me his love. Now I can keep myself in his love through Christ. I can remain in his love. I can abide in his love through Christ. That's our guarantee of safety. That's our strength and assurance that he brings you to in restoration. Uh, keeping myself in God's love means I'm keeping myself in God's way so that I can see my restoration. I want God to see me. because, And, and you know how he's going to see you? By, by, by remaining in his love. By walking in the love of Christ that he's given you. That's how he's going to see you. John 15 says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. You want to continue in his love? Keep his commandments. That means, if you want to keep yourself in his love, you have to maintain a repentant heart. Because if you have a repentant heart, then you'll strive to keep his commandments. So what does it mean to have a repentant heart? Does that mean that I'm, I have to be willing to apologize for everything? No. What it means is, you have to constantly remember that it's God that made you in agreement with himself. He made you consistent with himself through his Son by the Spirit. That he gave us. His goodness says as much as his wrath was against us, so is his grace for us. We're now just as right with God as we were wrong with him. So, he has my heart, so now I hate what he hates. And I hate to betray him in the fellowship that I have. That's having a repentant heart. That keeps you following his commandments. Having a, having a repentant heart, that implies you have to take care of some things. You have to prune some things. You have to water some things. You need to produce fruit. It implies that we're being watchful, accepting godly counsel. That's why I don't understand. It's so easy to accept godly counsel from somebody who has their finger on the post of God. That's why I'm so grateful for our pastor. Let me tell you something. She's had her finger on the post of God way before she stepped into this role. Uh, consistency in Christ. That's how you prepare for restoration. So her consistency in Christ of all these years prepared her so that she can help us in our restoration now. 
She didn't know she was being prepared for this, but she just stays consistent in Christ. And, and the preparation paid off. Thank you for our gift, Lord. So let's continue reading Jude. And it says, So keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. <clears throat> there it is. Looking for or hoping in the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we saw the faith. We did love. Now it's talking about looking for. There's your hope. Now I want you to know, again, your hope is directly, directly related to your faith. Because let me tell you something. Hope without faith is a fairy tale. Uh, what are you having faith in? If it's not the hope of Christ. Yourself? Listen, hope without faith, it's a fairy tale. It's fake. So let's, let's find out what hope is. Because it's essential for our, our restoration. Biblical hope is simply this, and you can write this down. It's the expectation of God's faithfulness. That's it. It's the expectation of God's faithfulness. Uh, what is the Bible? The Bible is God's faithfulness. What is the Bible? The Bible is God's word. Who is God's word? Jesus. So, hope is the expectation of God's word. Hope is the expectation of Jesus. Hope is the expectation of his faithfulness. Jesus is the faithfulness of our God. He is the living word. He is our restoration. It's the expectation of God's faithfulness. He's promised to deliver me wholly from the confines of sin at a future date. So I have a hope. Hope keeps me anchored in that truth until that day comes. There's no way a believer can stay in faith without hope. Not faith in Christ. When you see a believer that's stagnant or won't grow or who's losing ground spiritually, it's because they're losing their hope. And as you lose your hope, since it's directly related to your faith, it results in a lack of faith. And it shows up in your walk. That means when you encounter a trial of life and you receive godly counsel and you choose not to obey the word of the Lord, then, then your soul hasn't been restored. And that causes you to lose hope. You know why? Because when you see that trial again, you're not going to remember the word of the Lord. You're going to remember what you did and how bad it went. You're going to go right back to it. And that means now you're like, there's no hope. Now you're starting to lose faith. And it's so funny, your lack of faith and your lack of hope is the work of your own hands because you rejected godly counsel. An act of faith and the expectation of God's faithfulness will help you be victorious over all those trials. But it's an act of faith. And an act of faith implies hope. Holding on to that. Listen, God has promised to deliver me wholly. Even though I'm experiencing this, He'll restore my soul day by day. I want you to understand this restoration process, it's until you leave this earth. 
Yes, your spirit is born again. No restoration needed there. But your soul? You have to restore that day by day with the washing of the water of the word. So we have to have the right perception of hope. Biblical hope is not just trying to escape from reality. It's not trying to escape from your problems. It's not holding your, your fingers crossed and God, I hope this changes. That's not biblical hope. Hope or the expectation of God's faithfulness, it changes how you see yourself. It changes us from people of the world to people in it. We're just on a journey. We're pilgrims. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure's all laid up somewhere beyond the blue. It changes your thought process. And if you're a pilgrim, then you don't bring anything with you except what you need for your journey. And guess what? For your journey of restoration, you don't need nothing from this world. So your hope says, anything that the world can... It's like Abraham said, I'm not taking out even a shoelace. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my shield. That's hope. It's like David. Listen, you don't have to give me the riches. You don't have to give me the Saul's daughter. Listen, we're the army of the living God. Hope keeps your eyes single. Hope says that I'm going to store my treasures where moth and rust don't collect. Where it doesn't decay. When, a hope, when, when you hope, you don't have a problem, problem giving to God. Why? Because it's all His anyway. I have an expectation of His faithfulness. So I don't have a problem giving. I don't have a problem giving because His faithfulness will take me from the place that I was before to something even greater. That's restoration. Hope is what gives you confidence in your ministry. To stand up and say, you know what? I'm going to be the example of the believer. <laughs> I'm going to be an example in word, conversation, faith, purity, charity. So I'm going to be an example all the way around. Like Minister Sister says, the whole gamut. Run it. I'm going to be the example. But you have to be firm and fixed in expecting the faithfulness of our God. And I'm out of time, but I'm going to just finish up with this one last part. Verse 19. Oh, I'm sorry, not verse 19. Yes, verse 19. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye be loved, building up yourselves in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto, unto, eternal, unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And again... Who is he talking to? Those who separate themselves. Those who contend with you. Those who are holding on to strife. He said, have compassion. Making a difference. That means, we're not only to be our own keepers, but as ambassadors, we ought to be our brother's keeper. And if you can't agree with that, then you're a wicked king. And you're not planning to be a part of restoration. Because he came not to be served, but to serve. That's what restoration is. 
That's your service. We have to watch over, over one another. We have to be faithful to one another. We have to carefully consider one another. Reprove each other. Be an example all around us to the point of conviction. That's what must be done with compassion, making a difference. We have to treat them with tenderness. The Bible says in Galatians 6, and I know, I know you all remember this message, that ye which are spiritual are to restore them in the spirit of meekness. These, remember, these are the ones that have separated themselves. They're contentious with you. They cause strife with you. So how are we to respond? And this is well I'll end. I, I'm, I'm just going to show you a quick thing of how, how we to respond and how they respond to that response. And then, as far as verse 23, which is somewhere I really wanted to get, study it. And we'll get back to that at some point in some other time. Let's go over to 2 Samuel. I told you I was going to stay on David, right? This is the last passage we're going to go to. Oh, second to last, sorry. <laughs> second Samuel 12. And I'm going to read verse 1 through 13. And we're talking about restoring in the spirit of meekness, right? And a lot of people look at what I'm about to show you here and they start looking right at David, but I want y'all to see Nathan. Because we're talking about restoring in the spirit of meekness. 1 through 13, and it says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came, oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the, no, I'm right, unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up and grew it up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lab, lamb and dressed it for the man and was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Now, I want you to know right now why Nathan is coming to visit David. David had done the thing that really displeased the Lord. And he had basically coveted another man's wife, sent this man into war, had this man killed, got this man's wife pregnant, and now the Lord is saying, I'm displeased. I'm displeased with the decisions that you made. And God said, Nathan, I, I want you to go talk to David. So, I'm thinking about myself. If I know somebody did that, and I know they're a believer, and they said, they've, listen, you are, you're the king, you're supposed to be an example, this and that, I'm coming to him and I'm ready with fire and brimstone. Now, what's wrong with you? What's going on? But look how Nathan came to him. Nathan came to him, speaking the truth in love. And, and, and you, know what, know, you know what really caused him to change his heart? It's truth. Because that, at this point, Nathan hadn't even referred to David. And David was mad. David was hot. He didn't realize he was hot himself. He didn't even realize. Let's keep reading. And it says... Verse, okay, verse 5, verse 6. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art that man. Thus said the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. Now, I, I just have to say this about Nathan because 
Let me tell you something. In those days, too, you're not just supposed to come out and rebuke the king. You could die for that. <laughs> you can't just come out and be like, hey, king, you know you did wrong, this, this, that, and the other, and that's what's going on. But the, the word of the Lord is more important than his life. That's the thing about Nathan. He denied himself, but his protection said, listen, restoring the spirit of meekness. See, if, if you stay in God's principle, God got you covered. God got you covered. So I'm telling you, if, you, if Nathan was to come at the king wrong, who knows what could have happened. But he spoke the truth in love. So that, that also should tell you, if God gives a command, obey. Nathan obeyed. He was afraid, but he obeyed. You know why? Because he knew the faith, and he was the faith in the world. He was afraid, but faith overcame fear. That's why God sent him. And when you overcome, you're, listen, when you overcome in faith, you help restoration. If you don't believe me, let's turn to Psalm 51. We're going to see the results of Nathan visiting David. Obeying the command of the Lord. Psalm 51. We're going to close with this. And this is David. This is after Nathan the prophet came to him. After he had gone into Bathsheba. This is after Nathan gave him that story. This is after his heart was pricked. And, and let me tell you, if you keep reading back in, in, in Samuel, you'll see David's heart was pricked. But we're going to see here. This is what David said. He said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto thy multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. And be clear when thou judgest. See, when the truth is spoken in love, it makes you realize that, listen, this person don't have a beef with me. It's not this person coming at me. It's against God that I've sinned. And they're trying to help me with my restoration. So I need to check some things. There's some things inside my heart that I need to examine. Look what David says in verse 7. He says, Purge me with the hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. See, when, you, when you're restoring somebody in meekness, when you speak the truth in love, the heart gets pricked. I'm not saying shout at the darkness. Nathan didn't do that. Matter of fact, Nathan didn't even come at him. He gave him a story and he came at himself. Speak the truth. There's no need, there's no need for you to say, you did this, this isn't, they know what they've done. Speak the truth though. This is God's truth here. And against him and only him have you sinned. Not against me. Listen, I don't hate you. I hate the sin. But I don't hate you. Listen, God hasn't called us to restore. Restoration isn't about cutting away friends and cutting away this person and that person. It's about gaining your brother and sister. That's what restoration is about. Amen. We're going to go ahead and stop there. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. 
For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.